today's scripture will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and 22 through 25. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, for the first, get, getting back to preach here, I prepared a, a, a short ser, a series for you, which is entitled um, Better Than, what do I call it? Better Than Gold, right? And it's just three sermons out of 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at this passage today and then next week. And then when we get to our anniversary service, we'll, we'll go to 2 Peter chapter 1, which has a lot of the same themes. Now, there's no way you can really do this chapter uh, justice in three messages, um, but we'll just, just try to, I'm just going to just cherry pick some really special things that um, I believe the Lord was saying to me when I was away from you, and which I hope will be of a blessing to you, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, we're back, see, three parts. <laughs> Part one, um, greater than money, that's part one. Greater than money. <laughs> part two, which glory do you seek in your life? Everybody's a glory seeker. If you don't seek any glory, you probably are thinking about killing yourself. If you're alive, you're seeking something to fill your life up. What is it? Which glory is it? That's part two. Which glory do you seek? And part three, the everlasting glory of God in the gospel, right? So I'm a gospel preacher, and I want to give you the gospel. And we're going to talk about the glory of God in the gospel, okay? Um, part one. So I want to focus on this verse. It's just like this kind of explosive theology 
I'm not going to really get right into that theology, but just for the sake of time, I want to get right into this verse, all right? Verse 6. This is what it says in verse 6. In this you rejoice. Now, what is this? Uh, just, just quickly, what is this? It's this. That by the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in the gospel, this is absolutely basic. You have been born again because you believe in Jesus. You believe in the gospel. And when you get to verse 6, this is what it says. In that you rejoice. In this, because you've been born again through the gospel, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now just stop there at verse 6. I, 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 um, we, I don't know how many of you uh, follow our devotional passages, but this was, <laughs> this was chosen by Pastor Young as our devotional passage. I was meditating on this um, a couple months ago. And while I was meditating on this, I, I thought, yeah, this is what the Lord is going to want me to, to talk about when, when I return to preach. And this verse 6, that should be, it's, that's a basic description of what it's like to live in Christ. You rejoice because you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, and yet sometimes you're grieved by trials. That's kind of what this life is like, right? Until we fully get the resurrection, at times it's going to be, we're going to be grieved by trials. Now, I just want to start with this first question. Do you actually rejoice in being saved through Jesus and that his resurrection means you're going to have everlasting life in a body that never can die, and you, this, is, this, is, this is yours? Do you rejoice in that? You wake up every day, you're like, yes! <laughs> I am born again through Jesus. That's what I... I rejoice in that. Or is really that next portion of the verse, is that what's, what's in your life all the time? You walk, you wake up each day, and some trial of the hour, of the day, of the week, of the month, that's weighing you down. Life is always going to have something. Maybe um, right now, um, my wife and I didn't really feel the weight of this because we were out of the country, but um, things are expensive. <laughs> so, um, you know, like uh, this thing right here, it's just literally worth less than it was three months ago. And some of you can feel it. We all kind of feel it, right? And that's a trial. Um, we have a, a brother in our church, and... Um, his cousin um, just passed away. And um, I think she, I forget what she had. She had some very serious illness, and she was young. And he is away for that funeral, and these are our trials. But in the midst of this, do you have something else that makes you rejoice? Hmm. Really? And do you really rejoice at that? Now let's go to verse 7. Here's what it says. So let's, let's read it. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith, 
If you really believe in Jesus, let me just tell you something. It's going to get tested. <laughs> this is what the Bible says. It's going to be tested. And if it's going to get tested, we're going to find out how real it is. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. One way to know if your faith in Jesus is real is somewhere along the line, you, you kind of tend to forget. You, some of the, the trials can be a little bit much. Or the, the highs in your life, you're like, oh, I'm so excited because, you know, like something really good happened to you. But then one of the ways is when life starts to hit you with its trials and it starts to test you, you come back and you realize that this faith in Jesus, this is where you can rejoice. Hmm. Now, here's the part I really want to get at, okay? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that is perish that actually perishes those tested by fire. So more precious than gold that perishes those tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So here is where I want to start. Um, I'm, I'm back, and we're going to go into what I consider this. This is going to be our next chapter. We had an, we've had kind of a remarkable run. We endured the pandemic. Some churches died during the pandemic. I don't know if you know that. And I know churches that their leadership was ripped apart during the pandemic. And we, we didn't even, not even just the Lord was blessing us. We actually raised up our elders. And then you <laughs> sent off your pastor to go get a break for several months and then you guys rejoice with a bunch of, uh, you know, our wonderful guest speakers. I've heard good things. And now, we're, now this is our next season, right? And here's the thing I, I really want to, I, I want to uh, sit down on is, is your faith more precious than gold? Is it? And when it's talking about gold, what are we talking about here? You know what we're talking about here. We're talking about money, <laughs> Because back then, money was, wasn't like today we have this thing where this thing, what backs it? There's this little phrase on here, and it says, uh, the full faith and credit of the United States government. You know what backs this? The government. It's actually not that great. But back then, there was no way they would ever trust a government. You had to have some precious metal. It was gold. So when it's saying that your faith is more precious than gold. The statement, it's a, it's just a, it just goes right by. Your faith is better than money. <laughs> and I want to start right here. We're back to this city. And you guys know it's a very kind of raw question, is it not? <laughs> Inside your heart, what makes you rejoice? Are you connected to Jesus and you believe that? Is that more precious than money to you? Or is does the money, that's the thing that's really precious to you? That's the question I want to start with. And that's kind of a, you know, a, a punch in the head question, isn't it? And I don't really intend to be mean because I know, like, you know, many of you, you really have a sincere, deep love for Jesus. But we also, in this city, we all, anybody who even believes in Jesus, in the background, the money thing is there all the time. Is it not? <laughs> so here's what, I was, here's what I was thinking. This summer, 
Um, my wife and I, we spent um, three months in Korea. And it was to go visit um, and, and, and get to know Grace's extended family. She doesn't know a lot of her extended family. And about eight out of 12 weeks, we were in the city of Seoul. And Seoul is an incredible city. <laughs> it's an absolutely glorious and incredible city. It is one of the most gorgeous and incredible cities in the whole world right now at this point, point of history. But let me tell you also what I saw, right? It's expensive. <laughs> it is expensive. And it's expensive to live there. And you know what sucks up the mind of the citizens of Seoul all the time? <laughs> you got it, this. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, nobody's, they actually don't use this anymore. They use this. <laughs> A little better than this, right? Is this. So I whip this out all the time <laughs> this summer. And if you don't have one of these in Seoul, you're, you're not much. Here's what else I saw in the city. Every block, <laughs> there's like a coffee shop. It's weird. I, and and I, that's, all, that's almost not an exaggeration, okay? There's a coffee shop. On every block, it's actually insane. You're like, is this whole city completely addicted to caffeine? And apparently, the answer is yes, <laughs> right? Because the, the most popular drug in the world is caffeine, and Seoul is the greatest drug dealer of that <laughs> drug in the whole world. And then here's other things that are going on everywhere in the city. There's restaurants everywhere. <laughs> and then for the most part, the food is pretty darn good. And it's crazy, it's cheap. So if you're the customer, it's awesome. <laughs> but if you are the restaurant owner, if you work in that restaurant, it's not awesome. Why are there so many restaurants? Why are there so many coffee shops in the city? Because if you didn't make it into some top school, and you didn't become either a doctor or a lawyer, or you got into some you know, job that can chop you up into government pension, then you know what you do? You are riding a motorcycle delivering food for a restaurant. You are opening up a fried chicken restaurant, or you're selling coffee, because coffee costs more than alcohol. <laughs> it's just absolutely insane, but it's true. Right? Coffee basically costs almost the same thing as it costs here for people who don't make anywhere near as much money as people make here. And so when we walked around the city all the time, this glorious, gorgeous, incredible city, you know what I also saw? Money is everything in this place. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else that I learned, which was, as a pastor, um, particularly painful. What I learned is 25% of Korea Koreans say they are Christians. I believe that. I believe that that number is probably more or less accurate. But if you look at people who are under the age of 20, it is not 25% who know Jesus. <laughs> One of the pastors who planted a church there, he said, it's probably closer to 3%. <laughs> so when you walk, go from church to church, you can feel this. There are a handful of churches where the young people are worshiping Jesus. But in the majority of the churches, the young people are gone. <laughs> the young people 
are worshiping money. <laughs> That's what's going on. And so I asked the pastor who spent um, a number of years in youth ministry, seasoned guy. He, he's not in ministry now because that church was breaking apart. And so he lost his job, so he's not in ministry now. And so I asked him this. He'd been living in Seoul for like 15 years. He's an American, actually. Uh, he's white American. His wife is Korean, na um, you know, native Korean. And he did youth ministry for more than a decade at one of the most famous churches in Seoul. And I asked him, is this true <laughs> that the young people are not in church? And he said, um, I, can, I can't tell you about the whole country, but I can tell you about what I've seen. And from what I've seen, okay, he's in one of the most famous one of the most successful churches in Seoul, and he said, it's true in our church. <laughs> and I said, why do you think that is the case? He said, he got really, he, he, he wanted to give me a real answer. He goes, I can't give you the exact right answer, but I'll give you my opinion. And this is what he said. He said, kids, and he's not talking about the kids out there who don't know Jesus. He's talking about the kids in the church the sons and daughters of elders in the church. <laughs> okay, so we're supposed to be the most godly shepherds in the church, right? The elders. The sons and daughters of elders. He said, these are elders' kids. When the kids get to high school, they stop going to church. Why? Because they don't want to go to church? No, but because the way the education system works there is you go to public school, and you go from like 8 to 3, and then... You go to this thing called Hagwan, which is school all over again. You go to these academies, and you pay for this academy. It's private. And these academies prep you for college entrance. So then you go there for several hours, and then you study. And then you do that till about 2 in the morning, and you go to sleep. You get about four hours of sleep. You wake up, and you do it all over again. And since that is the kid's life from about the age of 14, you know, it just seems reasonable. Just got to study on Sunday. Just got to sleep on Sunday. Don't need to go to youth group on Wednesday or Friday. And the parents, these parents know Jesus. They love Jesus. But they just think, hey, you know, they'll probably just go back to church when they go back to college, won't they? What do you think the bet is that they will go back to church when they're 18 and go to college? If they make it to college, by the way. <laughs> if they don't make it to college, then they do that again or a whole nother year. So they get in college maybe at the age of 19. And I, I, when I heard that, I, I just wanted to cry. <laughs> I just wanted to cry. What's the academics about? Is it about learning? You and I know what it's about. It's about money. When I walk around the city, it's just enslaved by money. We had dinner with my cousin, and um, he has a daughter who's, in, uh, who, who's about 11 years old. And this is the summer, okay, this is the summer. In the summer, when they don't have school, she is in academy <laughs> at the age of 11. And I said, she's into the academy? 
She's in after school academy at the age of 11. He's like, he's all like, you know, of course. It's completely normal that every kid from second grade is doing academy. So you're, all the parents are paying out of pocket to send their kids to school after school so they can be set on the path to completely lose their childhood all the way to age 19. And then, and in many, many cases, to lose Jesus. <laughs> and while I watched this and was in this for three months, I said, you know, Silicon Valley, we're completely different, aren't we? <laughs> and I thought about this, and I prayed hard about this. I said, this is the place at which we must ask ourselves where we rejoice. Where is your real joy, Revived Church? Is your real joy in Jesus? <laughs> or is your real joy in whether this is going to happen or not? <laughs> because in our city, if we're really, really honest, isn't this the real thing? <laughs> Everybody in America thinks this is what's real, and Jesus is this kind of stupid fairy tale that these stupid people who are, who are Christians, that's what they do. <laughs> and they say, they say that Jesus is the Savior, but we know that they, when push comes to shove, it's going to be about this. So I know this is a, wow, kind of a punch in the head message at the beginning, but this is the thing I want to lay down as your pastor. I want to draw a line, and I want to ask you, will you draw a line in your heart? Is your life about this? <laughs> or it's about Jesus? <laughs> What's the ultimate thing? Now, okay, look, I'm not anti-money, okay? I don't hate money. I want you to make money. I want you to make a lot of money. And if you make a lot of money, Fantastic, okay? Right? Just don't rejoice in it. Because just like Pastor Young just said just a little while ago, I thought it was really interesting him saying that, is here today and gone tomorrow, but Jesus will not. Hmm? All right, that's part one. Let's go to part two. Let's keep this shorter. Um, I want to take you to this next passage. It's toward the bottom of this passage, and it goes like this. All right. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory, this is verse 24, like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now I ask you this question. What's the glory you seek? It's interesting. Some people just really want the money. <laughs> the glory you seek is a Tesla. <laughs> and you can get that with the money. The glory you seek is like a house in, you know, in that neighborhood over there. And you can get that with money. And some people want the money, which is really interesting. They want the money because then the money will give you um, worth. It's actually not about money. But if you have enough money, then you're like, I'm somebody. <laughs> I'm not nothing. 
And you know what that feels like, because maybe you grew up poor, or maybe because your dad grew up poor. And because he couldn't pay for certain things, he felt like he was less than a man. So if he has money, the glory he cares about is being not nothing. So that's kind of, isn't that strange? I've worked. I'm not nothing. That's the glory I care about. But it can be bought by money. But some of you, <laughs> so I would say a lot of us, you're like, come on, pastor, I'm not that shallow. <laughs> I want to ask you that question. Really? First of all, let's ask that question. If you could take away all your money or a lot of your money, is there some other glory that you would care about more? Can you honestly say that? And I would say for a lot of us, that's probably not true. But for some of us, maybe it is true. I have a friend, and um, he could honestly say, I bet you if I looked him straight in the eye, he's not, he's not a Christian, he's an atheist, he's one of my closest friends. And if I were to say to him, is money the thing that you, where you really rejoice? And he'd probably just go, look at me completely with a straight face and say, no, it's not. And I believe him. Because you know what he cares about? Music. <laughs> he cares about music. Not K-pop, not BTS. He cares about Bach, <laughs> right? He cares about piano playing. And so, yeah, he has an expensive piano in his house. And his kids play exquisite piano. And they play great music. And you know what? That is the glory he cares about more than money. And you could tell, because when you go hang out with him, he has a bad haircut. <laughs> and he wears really, like, you could just, you can't tell, like, where'd you get those clothes from? Target? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay? And he drives a car that he bought 10 years ago, and he does not care. So it's music. And maybe for you, it's like that. OK, I'll tell you. I'll, let, me, let me tell you, I, I, you know, since I'm preaching this message, I, I go, OK, so not, OK, like stick your finger to you. Don't just stick it to your, your, your church. Right, OK, what's the glory you care about when you have rejoicing that's more, and it's not Jesus? And so let me, give you, let me um, honestly tell you what mine is, OK? It's not money. It's not money. I can honestly say to you, it's not money. You know what it is? It's knowledge. <laughs> it's knowledge. If you come to my house, there's way too many books. <laughs> and I have read a chapter out of almost all those books. <laughs> and if you make me throw that book away, that will be very painful. <laughs> And I have forgotten a lot of the things I learned in those books. But I care about that more than money. <laughs> but here's what the Bible says. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, I'm never going to forget this passage. Um, for years, my wife and I, we were in this church in greater Philadelphia, and um, our main preacher, he would read the passage that he was going to preach on, and he'd always say this. He said it from, a, I think, a slightly different translation, and he was a southern, so he sounded like this. 
the grass withers and the flowers fade. <laughs> but the, the, the word of the Lord stands forever. And he said that every single Sunday. And so I was like, okay, Terry, thanks. <laughs> and I thought about that. Often more than whatever he preached on. <laughs> whatever he preached on, I was like, okay, this is kind of a dud sermon. <laughs> and some of you hopefully are, are not thinking that right now. This one's kind of a dud. All right, but I thought that. I was like, this one's a dud. All right? The grass withers. The flowers fade. The passage says, all its glory like the flower of grass. Which one's yours? What is the flower you care about? I just told you mine. Knowledge. You know how many of those books that are on my bookshelf are going to get thrown away? You know how much of that knowledge is going to be worth anything? Five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? It's really going to fade away. Um, at the beginning of the summer, hey, I don't have to work. You know what I was doing? I was watching basketball. <laughs> And in June, you know, there was a little something important going on around here. It was called the NBA Finals. Did you guys watch those games? <laughs> and I was sitting there going like, the Warriors are in the NBA Finals, and I'm in Korea. What the heck? <laughs> oh, my beds. We are, like, basking in the glory. The, our flower is blooming right now. <laughs> and my favorite player is a guy named Steph Curry. And in game four... He is awesome. He's so, he like, his flower just, the glory of his flower just completely bloomed, like, so great in game four of the NBA Finals that people are going to talk about that game for years to come. And when I watched that game, my heart was filled with the glory of Steph Curry. <laughs> and we are going to now say his, okay, I, I don't know of anybody who's singing the praises of Steph Glory, Curry, but... Every, every article that would praise the name of Steph Curry, I read all of them because I wasn't working. <laughs> I wasn't working. Every article everywhere that said the praises of Steph Glor uh, Curry, <laughs> Steph Curry and the glory of his flower, I read, and I basked in that flower. Yes. Curry, you deserve all of it. <laughs> And you know what? In a few years, that flower will be gone. It'll be gone. All right? What's yours? Um, I, 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 I was meeting relatives I haven't seen in a while. One of my cousins, he looked old. <laughs> I was like, dude, you, you don't have that much hair. <laughs> And I was going, I still got some of mine. <laughs> and then the grass withers. <laughs> and I was listening to Terry Trailer tell me what's true from God's word. And the flowers fade. And I was going, yep. <laughs> when this is gone, you're going to look just like your cousin. <laughs> but the word of the Lord stands forever. Here's what the passage says. 
Verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that's preached to you. It's the good news preached to you. That word should be in you. <laughs> that's what's going to be forever. That is where you could rejoice. See, if we're not rejoicing in that word, the gospel, which is in us, and instead, this owns us. <laughs> Just like all the citizens of Seoul, it owns us. If it owns us, how can our neighbors possibly think <laughs> there's anything worth anything in this ridiculous thing that people call the gospel? Of course, to them, it's stupid. It is really stupid because we all know it's about money or maybe looks or maybe promotions or maybe you name it, right? But the word of the Lord remains forever. Okay, let's get to the good part. Part three, you know this is where I like to tell you the good news. So I want to tell it to you a little bit differently today. I want to start with a story. I know that you, if you believe in Jesus, in your head, in your head, you believe what I just told you. The gospel stands forever. Even though my hair is falling out and I'm getting fat <laughs> and my bank account is doing this, <laughs> right? But in your heart, you're like, I'm getting fat, <laughs> and my bank account is doing this. That sucks. And I'm supposed to rejoice in Jesus, but I ain't feeling it today. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm going to be feeling it tomorrow either. And you know, if I'm going to feel like even going to church on Sunday, even though I'm not supposed to because I'm a Christian. Right? So I'm going to tell you a story that I heard many years ago from another pastor, and um, this is a true story. And I don't remember the exact details, um, but this is a true story. Right? He told the story. And um, sometimes when I get into that place, like you, because, you know, since I'm a holy pastor, I never love more money more than Jesus, right? <laughs> no, because on Monday tomorrow, I will probably think about money more than Jesus or maybe at least Steph Curry. I'll be like, I'm tired. Let's read an article about Steph. Oh, yes, there's an article about Steph. Yes. <laughs> and now enjoy that article for the next five minutes and bask in his flower, which in, even though I know in five, you know, five years it's going to be gone. Well, let me tell you the story. Um, there was a... This family, and they had two young children. And the son is like about six, maybe seven. And he's healthy. And he had a little sister. She's about three or four. And she's not healthy. She was dying. She was dying of kidney failure. And there was no donor. And she was not close to getting one. Now, imagine if you're a parent and you got one child, your youngest, your baby girl, and you know she might not be around next year. 
what would that do to you? Trials. <laughs> money. Who cares about money? <laughs> there are trials. Rejoice in Jesus. But my daughter is dying. There was only one person in their life who had a kidney that could match. It was her older brother. So mom and dad went to their, their son and they asked him, son, would you give up your kidney for your sister? And then she'll live. And this little boy, he thought about it. And he thought about it. And they said, we're going to have to have this, you know, this operation. We're going to take this kidney out. And it's going to go in your sister. And it'll save her life. And he thought about it. And he said, yes, I'll do it. So the day gets closer. He's going to tell the doctor. The day gets closer. And the son, he's not changing his mind. They keep checking, make sure he's not getting scared. He's like, I'm kind of scared. Yes, I'm scared. But I'm not changing my mind. So the day gets closer to, you know, where he's going to go, you know, where they're going to prep him for surgery and all that. And then he starts getting really sad. And then he starts going around to his mom and his dad, and he starts to say goodbye. What? What is this? And he's like, they said, why are you saying goodbye? He's like, well, one day put me under and take out my kidney, won't I die? Aren't I going to die? And his parents were like, <laughs> they realized that he did not know that he had two kidneys. And when they asked him, would you give up your kidney? He thought, he thought, I'm going to give him my kidney. And I'm not going to wake up, and I will die. But my sister's going to live. It's worth it. That's what this boy thought. So he made this decision when his mom and dad. So then they told them, no, no. And they were like aghast to realize that up to this point, that their son was burdened at the thought that in a couple weeks, I'm going to die. Though my sister's going to live. True story. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says. It says this. I'm going to take this, the gospel out of a passage. It's in this chapter, but we didn't read it here today. It goes like this. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. This is verse 13. That means don't be drunk. Don't be clouded in your mind with the world. Set your hope fully, fully on the grace that will be brought to you by the revealing of Jesus. It's verse 13. It goes like this, verse 18. Know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You see, your forefathers, they may have said they believe in God, but regularly they live for money. 
that you have been ransomed from that. So here's what ransom means. You are enslaved, you're kidnapped, and you're owned by somebody else. This is our city. We're just like Seoul. We need to be ransomed. And a ransom means there's a payment. And then you are liberated and now freed from that enslavement. Know that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You weren't ransomed with money. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That story in the family, that story is not just a story of health, tragedy in a family. That story is your story. It's my story. There was a father, and he had his sons and daughters, the younger sons and daughters, and they were all going to die. Absolutely. Absolutely. They had a cancer and infected their bodies, their minds, and their souls. It's called sin. And they were going to die and be absolutely wasted. But the father turned to his son and said, will you go down there and shed your blood? You'll have to die. But if you die, they will live. And this son knew it wasn't anything about a kidney. And his son knew he would shed his blood. And he was the only one qualified, just like this older brother. He's the only one qualified to save his little sister. He's the only one qualified because only his blood was pure enough. Only his blood was righteous enough to wash away this death cancer that his little brothers and his little sisters would absolutely die of. And that son said yes for you and for me. And when we walk through this life, no matter what trials hit you, can you rejoice in that? The father was absolutely desperate get you and to have you in his family forever and ever and the son when he asked the son will you shed your blood and die so that they will live he said yes that's the gospel and no matter what happens to you in this life whether you get into the school of your choice whether you get the love of your life whether you're skinny with six-pack abs or you just turn kind of fat and flabby <laughs> and bad diseases hit you, the bottom, bottom thing in this life is that Jesus, he said yes. The gospel is the bottom, bottom thing in your life. Can you rejoice? Can you rejoice in that?
remember that and live in that. And let's give that to our neighbors and our friends. No matter what thing causes us to cry, no matter what thing sometimes discourages us, deep down we're going to say, but you know what? I'm going to come back to the rejoicing. Because my brother, the son of God, gave it up for me. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Before I pray, I want to just ask you to think about that question. Where is your rejoicing? What is your glory? God gave us a glory in the gospel, which is that he is desperate to get you. And the son would bleed for you. That is the glory of God. Not his almighty power, not how ingenious he is, but how he loves you. To receive that. And rejoice in that. Father, it is an absolutely incredible thing that we who are enslaved by money or flowery glories that are here today and gone tomorrow, and we regularly, we regularly betray you. We regularly set our hopes on that which is far less than you. And yet, you would send your son, and he would bleed. His life would save our life. And his death would take away our death. And he would become poor, so we would become rich. And we would have a glory by the word of the Lord, which remains forever, can never be taken from us and never be lost by us. Help us to live in this and walk in this and rejoice in this all our days, now and forever. Amen.